Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And I want to welcome you to another installment in our series on Nehemiah. Where we're talking about putting our faith in action. I mean, this is a big thing. I hope it's a big thing to you. I hope you're here today because you want to live out your faith. You don't want to just talk a good game. Remember, I was even playing, I learned this in junior high, playing basketball, where we were playing against another team where we came out and warmed up, and the other team was talking about how bad they were going to beat us. And so, uh, you know, I remember just going over to the half-court line and really getting into it with a player from the other team and telling them, oh, the coach comes, pulls me over there into our little huddle, and he goes, hey, listen to this. Remember this. We don't do our talking with our lips. We do our talking with our game. I don't want to hear you talk. Just let them say whatever they want. The scoreboard will tell who was right at the end of the game. So let's talk with our game, not with our lips. Let's, let's live this out. Well, Nehemiah is a guy who had his faith in action. He didn't just talk a good game. He lived it. And I hope that it, that applies to more than sports for you and me. I want this to apply to our relationship with Christ. And if you do as well, then today you're going to be greatly encouraged because we need to know how to put our faith in action when it comes to opposition. When it's not just people talking trash about a football game or a baseball game or whatever else it might be, um, but, it's also, but it's talking about you and me and the attacks become personal when we try to live out our faith. That's a great time to put our faith in action, and Nehemiah models for us how to do so. So I think you're going to leave here greatly encouraged. If you've ever been discouraged by someone or if you're facing a difficult time right now, I'm glad you're here today because this is some stuff we can really use. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I pray that you'll speak, that you'll move me out of, way, out of the way, and teach us how to put our faith in action when it comes to overcoming opposition and discouragement. If you need some encouragement today, or you know a friend who needs some encouragement today, would you pray about that right now and say, God, I'd like to be able to encourage someone who's going through a hard time, or Lord, I can use this myself, or maybe both. Pray about it right now and say, if you need a word of encouragement to give away, or for yourself, or both, just pray right now and say, God, I could use this today. Please show me something I can use. Well, God, I don't want to be somebody who just talks a good game. I want to live my life to the full. I want to live out my faith in a real way. In the name of Christ, we pray that you'll speak to us. Amen. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled Overcoming Opposition and Discouragement. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. If you didn't get one on the way in, you're going to want to take some notes on this one because if you aren't going through some discouraging times right now, um, you will soon, especially if you want to live out your faith because that's part of it. In fact, point one reminds us that Nehemiah faced opposition and ridicule. Who was Nehemiah if you haven't been with us? about 450 years before Christ was born. I mean, we're coming up on Christmas here in a couple of months. And 450 years before Jesus was born, placed in a manger, uh, Nehemiah was rebuilding a wall in Jerusalem. The ancient city of Jerusalem is pretty much where Jerusalem is today. And he was rebuilding a wall because a little over 100 years before he came on the scene, uh, the whole place had been ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. God punished the Israelites for their wickedness and their rebellion toward him. He, they were his chosen people, but they chose not to obey him and to worship false idols instead. And so he allowed their city to be ransacked, their temple to be destroyed, and many of them were carried off to, um, as refugees to Babylon. They were in captivity for 70 years. They returned. The temple was rebuilt. There was a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening, and now we come up to the time when Nehemiah learns that even though the people have been back now for a long time, for many decades, the wall around Jerusalem was never rebuilt. And as a result, the people had no security. 
and they had no cultural identity because raiders would come through the land at any given time and so people were huddled in small little tribal groups and little gangs if you will to protect each other and but the culture couldn't flourish because the walls around a city allowed you to have protection and allowed you to have organization and allowed you to build infrastructure but without the wall you couldn't do any of it it'd be like if we lived in a modern city today and we had no electricity and we had no police force or fire department or hospitals can you imagine them if you didn't have that infrastructure i mean what would it amount to well not much and that's pretty much where uh, jerusalem was and so nehemiah prayed about this and he asked god to show him what to do how to put his faith in action and if you haven't been with us the first couple of weeks, you can get online and watch those messages. But God led him to go back and spearhead a campaign to rebuild the wall. And that's what he's doing. And so today, as he starts that work or as they continue the work, last week Tommy and Shelly talked about beginning that work. The work is continuing now. And as they started getting into the work, they faced opposition. This is Nehemiah chapter 4. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Who was Sanballat? Well, Jerusalem, if you look at a map of Israel, Jerusalem's still where it is today. Above that, on any map in your Bible, you'll see just above it is the area of Samaria. Um, the, and Sanballat was the governor of that territory just to the north of Jerusalem. Well, if Jerusalem didn't have a wall around it, then Sanballat was pretty much the de facto governor, governor of that territory too. Because anytime they needed protection or they needed a favor, they had to call on him. Well, if they re rebuild the wall, they won't need him anymore. And he knows it. And so he's threatened by Nehemiah. So Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. And he flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just because they offer a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall collapsed even if a fox walked along the top of it. And you can hear him going, nah, ha, ha, that type of thing. I added that. That's my own personal interpretation. But the whole idea is they're mocking them. And if you and I put our faith out there, if we actually want to put our faith in action, we can count on opposition. What are you talking about, John? Well, here's what I'm talking about. You realize there's something wrong. There's too much gossip going on at your office. And you say, hey, we need to deal with this. And so you bring it up. Well, who do you think you are? What, you're going to fix this? Maybe there's a relationship in your family where a cousin or a brother or, a, or some other relative is having marital problems. You say, hey, can I help you guys with your marriage? Well, what's it your business? Or maybe there's a need in our state or in our city where you're helping poor people or people involved in some sort of... Uh, situation where there's nobody from the outside even caring for their needs well who do you think you are and you can hear this come over and over again what does that guy think he's doing what does she think she's doing is this some kind of bible thumper thing i mean that's what's going on here who do these jews think they are you just insert christians who does that christian think he is ah that little feeble attempt that won't amount to anything and as soon as you and i try to put our faith in action we can guarantee there will be people who are going to come against us. Some, like Sand Ballot, might have a political agenda, or it might be threatening something where they're making a lot of money. I don't know. But count on it. If you try to put your faith in action, there's going to be somebody who comes against you. 
And there's where a life application comes in. We should expect opposition and ridicule when we put our faith in action. Expect it. Why? Because if we expect it, then we can be prepared rather than surprised. I mean, I need to be prepared for this. It's unrealistic to expect that if I'm going to live out my faith that I will never encounter opposition. I've actually had people tell me that. They go, well, I must be doing something wrong because people don't like me. And everybody liked Jesus. And I go, yeah, especially the people who crucified him and spit on him and mocked him. Oh, wait a minute. They did that to Jesus? Yeah. And he said, if this is the way they treat me, they're going to treat you worse. Look, Peter wrote about this. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Well, where did Peter get this idea? From Jesus himself. Jesus had said this to Peter and the other disciples in Matthew 5. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Look, if you and I are going to try to address a social evil, if you and I are going to try to stand for what the Bible stands for, if we're going to try to put our faith in action, we can expect opposition. I mean, can you imagine if we had to actually live in a culture where if you stood for what the Bible said, say the marriage should be between one man and one woman, that we might have opposition from people? Somebody should say, yeah, I can imagine that. If you can't imagine that, read the paper. Guys, we're going to try to live this out whether it's on a national scale, a state scale, a neighborhood scale, or a family scale, anytime you and I try to put our faith in action, we can expect opposition. Because there's always going to be somebody, people aren't doing the things they're doing for no reason. And we'll find opposition when we try to fix something that's wrong. Count on it. And Peter is the one who also said, the devil's like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour. We have an enemy. And he will make sure to try to intimidate us and ridicule what we're doing. And that brings us to another life application. So how do we deal with it? When we face opposition and ridicule, we need to let God deal with our enemies. And in the margin of this, I just want us to put in the margin of your bulletin there, you just write the word surrender. Somewhere along the line, you and I have to learn to surrender our enemies to God. If you and I will just surrender things, then uh, we'll let him handle the battle for us. Here's what Nehemiah did. When they're taunting him and talking about, ah, a fox had knocked that wall down. Well, here's what Nehemiah said. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Don't ignore their guilt. And you go, John, that doesn't sound very godly. I mean, he talks to God, and he just says, God, I'm mad. These people are mocking us. I'm trying to do your work. I'm trying to put my faith in action. And so, God, I'm going to put my faith in action another way. I'm going to let you handle this. Sick them, God. That's pretty much what he's saying. Hey, if you want some other scriptures on this, Jeremiah 18.23. Just write it in the margin. Jeremiah 18.23. It says, Lord, deal with my enemies. Here's a great one for you. Psalm 3.7. David says, Lord, Knock, slap my enemies on the face and, face and knock all their teeth out when they're smiling at me. 
That was a guy after God's own heart? Yeah, because he's talking to God and he's saying, God, you handle this. You know what I'd prefer? I'd prefer you slap their teeth out. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, no, he's mad. I'm not saying that that's the right attitude, but you know how it is if you have a friend you can talk to. I hope you have somebody you can talk to where you can be honest. What do you think of that? I can't stand that guy. Oh, I don't want God to know that. He already knows. Okay, why don't you just tell him? And see what's so great is when you find Jeremiah or you find David or you find Nehemiah, you know what? Their faith is in action because they're surrendering it to a real God that they really believe in. And they talk to him and say, that Sanballat guy, he makes me so mad, Lord. You see what he's doing? We're fixing the wall here. And he brings us to buy a guy and they go and laugh at us and mock us. Lord, you settle the score with them. I'm so mad. I added that. He didn't say that, but I did. Okay. But that's what he's doing. Listen to 1 Peter 2. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Isn't that awesome? You know how to put your faith in action? I surrender it to God. I surrender my opposition. I surrender my enemies to God and say, God, you handle it. And you know what happens next? And Paul even goes a little bit further. And he says, well, after you surrender to God, then the next thing to do is to do good. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. If you and I retaliate, you give me trouble, I'll give you double. Well, then we're just doing what everybody else does. But if you and I repay evil with good, man, that puts a heavy burden on somebody's conscience. If you've ever had your, anybody here ever had your conscience bother you? Anybody ever had your conscience bother you? I have people that come to me all the time and they go, my conscience is bothering me. And they'll tell me this. They go, why do you think that is? I go, well, I think it's bothering because you did something wrong. Let's go admit it. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'll go with you. I don't know if I can do it. I go, how much is a good night's sleep worth to you? Anything. Well, let's go. I mean, my goodness, if we return good for evil, then God is the one who puts the burden on their conscience, not on ours. I want to remind us again, some of you have heard me say this many times, and I keep bringing this up because it's so true. If I hold a grudge or I seek revenge in my own heart, it's like drinking a cup of poison every day hoping the other person gets sick. I'm the one who becomes bitter. I've got to hold on to that anger. This is what they did to me 10 years ago. Ugh. And I'm the one then, every time somebody mentions their name, every time a thought crosses my mind about this person who offended me, the best day becomes a horrible day. A sunny day becomes a rainy day. Even though nine things have gone right and one thing went wrong, I'm going to focus on that one. Nehemiah didn't do that. Because he had a good work to do. He was putting his faith in action. So he surrendered his enemies to God and he continued to do good. And he said, God, you deal with them. Remember, this is about putting our faith in action. Well, how so? I have to have faith in a real God. A real God that understands I'm angry and he knows it. So why am I trying to hide that? A real God that I believe can settle the score, and he's the one who's going to trouble their conscience. I'm just going to go and keep doing good. Now that's somebody, this, Nehemiah was no hypocrite. He was the real deal. 
Talk to God straight up. Surrendered his enemies to God, and he kept doing what God told him to do. I want this message to be an encouragement to us today. If God has called you to do something, to get involved, stay with it, even if there's opposition. Nehemiah did. Well, what do I do with my enemies who are making fun of me? Well, surrender that to God. Let God deal with it. You keep doing good. Is that easy? Oh, no. Does it require surrender? You betcha. As you'll see in a minute, one of the reasons why we stay together. Point two, Nehemiah, well, as the work continued and the wall started coming up to about half its height, uh, the threats escalated a little more. And so Nehemiah went from just ridicule and opposition to threats and intimidation. And we're at another level. Sanballat did not like this happening, and so he got some people organized, and they said, hey, we've got to take this up a notch. These people aren't just going to get discouraged and quit. We need to make sure we threaten and intimidate them a little further. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdodites heard the work was going ahead, the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we're going to swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And that story got circulated everywhere, and so people were afraid. Here's a life application. When we face threats and intimidation, we need to stand together. Stand together. My goodness, if you want a great reason um, to have a connect group or to be a part of a connect group, this is the whole idea behind church, that we stand together with other believers so we can help each other. When we get discouraged, when we face threats and intimidation for doing good, we need each other. Here's what Nehemiah did. We prayed to our guard, God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. From then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. So when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding, then our God will fight for us. This is about faith in action. The faith was to pray for protection. The action was to guard each other. I shared this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about preparation and other things in this. Don't think this is a contradiction. It's not. If I pray for protection for my house as I sleep at night, I still need to lock the door. And so do you. I lock the door and pray for protection while I sleep. Well, if you lock the door, it shows you don't have faith. No, if I lock the door, it shows I have a brain. This is putting your faith in action. If you actually believe God called you to do this and you actually expect opposition when you do the right thing, then you set up a guard while you work. God was still going to have to protect them. They were still spread out. They were just doing what they could. And they were doing it together. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4, this is Solomon. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together and they'll keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you ever have someone come to you and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't go to church. I don't see any need for church. Just have them read those verses right there. Hey, if you want to put your faith in action, could you expect opposition? Walk them through this whole outline here. Jesus said we should expect opposition. 
So you want to go through opposition alone? You think you'll handle it better on your own than if you have somebody who has your back? Well, no. Then you need church. Y'all, this is why we want everybody in a connect group so you have relationships with other people, people who can pray for you. Because sometimes when you're feeling like you're getting run over by life, I can encourage you. Another time, you're going to be the one to encourage me. But if we're on our own, man, we are sitting ducks. And you don't think the devil knows this? He's a roaring lion looking for souls to devour, is what Peter says. He would love to cut us off from the herd. And then we're easy pickings. And so what did Nehemiah did? Well, he surrendered his enemies to God. He kept doing good. And they stood together. Oh, and they prayed. Lord, you protect us. We're going to do what we can. But Lord, if you don't help us, then we don't have a chance. That's just being honest. Real God, real problems, real solutions. I'm putting my faith in action. Not just going to talk about it. Not just Sunday Christian stuff here. This is all week long stuff. It's important we learn from him. So they stood together, had a guard. They had the trumpet signal. And this is from Nehemiah chapter 6. Well, that didn't stop Sanballat. Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Well, four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. Um, there's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. Now, you can be very sure that this report will get back to your boss, the king, because Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And Nehemiah had nothing doing with it. They were working on the wall. They had an armed guard. Half the people were guarding the city while the other half worked. They all kept their weapons at their side. Nehemiah was there. And, they, and so they realized it was, it was going to be hard to get to him there. So they wanted to get him outside the city to this place about seven miles away on the plains of Ono. And they could ambush him on the way. I'm sure there was a narrow pass. Someplace they probably figured this all out. And they'd get rid of him. So they said, come meet us there. And Nehemiah said, oh no, to the plan of Ono. Okay, he said, no, I'm not coming. No, I'm not coming. I'm doing something important here. Why should I stop just because of that? And there's a life application here for you and me. When we face threats and intimidation, we need to focus on the truth. And boy, you could put focus in all caps. We need to focus on truth. We can lose focus when negative reports come. We can lose focus when people are trying to intimidate us then they don't even have to have a battle. They just scared us. And then now, because they had a threat, because they sent an angry email, now they know they can completely demoralize us. And too often that does stop us because we don't focus on the truth. I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. 
hey, look, if I want to put my faith in action, I mean, this is what this is all about. Think about this again. I don't go retaliate against my enemies. I surrender to God and I keep doing good. I don't get distracted by their threats. I just focus on the truth and keep doing good. It'll drive them nuts. That's what Paul says. It'll just heap burning coals in their head. We can't get to this person. No, because he's focused on the truth. Paul wrote about this in uh, Philippians 4 as well. He said, guys, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But you know what we focus on? We focus on all the bad things. That's just human nature. I can get an email after email encouraging me about something, and I can get one angry email, and man, I'll just focus on that one. I remember a few, uh, well, a while back, a uh, person wrote to me about one of the messages that I'd done on Sunday morning, and they said, well, what you said was fine, but here are 21 points you left out. If any of you would like for me to have a 24-point sermon this morning, we'll break at five tonight, okay? I mean, that's impossible. I wrote him back, how can I have a 25-point sermon? That's why we do series. And by the way, we're covering this this next week and all these things. Okay, but guess which email I focused on that whole day? The one negative one. Is it realistic that I could have a 25-point sermon? Well, not have any of you come back. No. And I know that. And even as I tell you that, you go, come on, John. Well, I could do the same thing with some of the things that get you discouraged. You could have nine things going right, ten things going right, twenty things going right. One person gives you one discouraging word, and that's what you focus on. True? I wish it wasn't, but that's human nature. And that's why Paul had to write this. Hey, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. I mean, now you've got to remember, when this was sent as an open letter, these guys were saying all these rumors about the king and He's going to get back to the emperor that Nehemiah was trying to take over and all this stuff. Well, those messages were sent in a scroll. And normally that scroll was wound tight, would have a cord around it, sealed with wax, so you could know if it was tampered with. This was just written on a scroll and laid open. And they probably made sure it was laid way open and said, hey, hand, hand this to Nehemiah. Well, anybody reading it, they would just kind of go, whoa, oh, wow, oh, wow. They're going to accuse us of... Uh, insurrection against the king. We're all going to get killed. And that's the effect they wanted. So the thing gets to Nehemiah. It's open. He goes, who opened the letter? He goes, well, it was never sealed. It's like, so he writes back, everything you said is not true. And I'm not going to stop just because you're trying to intimidate me. Blech. Okay, Nehemiah. I don't know how you spell that. But imagine if we did that. We focused on what was true. It's not true, and I'm not going to stop doing good. I've surrendered this to God. I'm going to keep going with what he called me to do. I'm going to stand together with the other people who know this is the right thing to do. We're going to pray, and we're going to focus on what's true. If you and I want to put our faith in action, there is no better time to demonstrate it than when we face opposition. And we all know it. When there's a storm or there's a fire drill, or somebody else. there's always somebody who's helping other people out. And you go, oh, wow. When you have to work long hours because the project got over, uh, takes a lot of overtime and things, or there's going to be a lot more work to do, and the person does it without grumbling or complaining, everybody notices. Because everybody else is grumbling or complaining. 
But what if we stuck out, stuck out? What if we stuck out because of our faith in action? What if we believed there was a real God and we really trusted him the way Nehemiah did? I think people in our culture, just like in his day, would admire us. I mean, that's why this was all written down, so we could learn from his example. And that brings us to the third point. In the midst of all this, not only did Nehemiah face opposition from without, he faced discouragement within. He'd been organizing people to get the job done, doing what God wanted him to do, and people were getting discouraged. And then the people of Judah began to complain. Workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We're never going to be able to build a wall by ourselves. And the life application for you and me is this. When we face discouragement, we need to encourage each other in the Lord. You and I can encourage each other. I called together the nobles, the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And a big part of encouragement was remembering the Lord. And this will be the last word I'd have you write in your margins. Remember the Lord. So often we forget this. We forget what God has done. Uh, this is Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Moses is talking to the children of Israel. Joshua is going to take over, lead them into the promised land, cross the Jordan, and the things. Moses is about to die. The Lord's revealed this to him. And so he says, follow Joshua. And then he goes on. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid of your enemies or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. He goes over and over again in his final sermon. Remember how the Lord rescued you here and here and here? He's still the same. Remember how the Lord guided you here, here, and here? He's still the same. Remember how the Lord provided for you here, here, and here? He's still the same. And if you and I want to encourage each other when we face hard times, we can remind each other, did the Lord answer our prayers a while back? Oh, yeah. Did the Lord convict those people of their sin? Oh, yeah. He'll still do it again. But this is why we need each other. I mean, please don't misunderstand this. We need to remember the Lord and encourage each other. That's faith in action. Faith in a real God who answered prayers yesterday. He'll answer our prayers today, and he'll answer our prayers tomorrow. If you believe that, would you say amen? amen. Well, this is what this whole message is about. It's to remind us of these things. Some of us are going through a hard time right now. And let me encourage you. God will be with us. He was with Moses and the children of Israel. He is with us today. Before Jesus sent his disciples out to go tell the whole world the good news of the gospel, he said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the earth, even to the end of the age. To the end of everything that I ask you to do, I'm going to be with you. I'll always be with you. And we don't have to be afraid of that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so we'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're, all, I know you're already doing this. Just keep doing it. I mean, think if we can give encouragement like that. It's great. Yesterday we had the Capital 10, 10-mile uh, race in Montgomery. Had like 800 runners in this thing, and it was really fun. We had dozens and dozens of volunteers at water stations and at turning points along the route, and they were cheering and encouraging people along. And after the race was finished, I was cheering. I was one of the people cheering for people at the finish line, and 
People come through and I go, how was the race? And they go, loved it. Were there enough volunteers? Oh yeah. And they were cheering us on and we loved it and thank all the volunteers. So thank you to all the volunteers who helped with that. But I'd also remind you, they said the only negative complaint was they said you had one volunteer somewhere, somebody was cheering for us about mile four and they would go, you're almost there and go, and they'd all yell back, no, we're not. We're only at mile four. We got six more to go. Okay. So they said, make sure next time they say you're at mile four, only six to go. Okay. But we don't want to be false in our encouragement. We want to be real. But we need to encourage each other. And it's not just in a race. It makes all the difference in a race. It makes all the difference in a football game. There is such a thing as home field advantage. But what's the home field advantage? All the people going nuts cheering for you. And the players feel it. The coaches feel it. In fact, they're at the pep rally the night before. You better turn out and shout. That's a big advantage for us. Well, this is what church is supposed to be about again. We come together and encourage each other. You're not alone. Hey, we stand together. We remember how God has answered prayers for us in the past. I want to encourage you. He still does. To discourage means to take away courage. So you want to quit. To encourage means to give courage. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. It makes a difference on a 10-mile run, makes a difference in a football game, makes a difference in our faith. I don't want to just talk a good game. I want to play it, and so do you. Let's not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Galatians 6, 9. Can we read that together, please? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Man, some people you know, some people I know need to hear that verse today. Think how encouraging it would be to get an email where that was said, Hey, don't give up. You're doing a good thing. I'm praying for you. I'll stand with you. What if you have a coworker, or a family member or a neighbor who's saying ugly things about you? Wouldn't it help to have a friend that would come alongside you? Put their arm around you and say, You're not going to go through this alone. We're together. I'm your friend. Be encouraged. Let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, Hebrews 10, 25, but encourage one another, especially now, the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. Jesus is coming back soon. He wants us to put our faith in action. So let's encourage each other. Let's stand by each other. Let's pray for each other and never forget what God has done for us in the past. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that you would remind us of these things. Just in a moment of silence, the Lord spoke to you today. If you needed a word of encouragement and you heard it, then you say, Lord, I heard you. Thank you. I needed that. If you know a friend who needs encouragement, would you pray for him or her right now and say, oh God, I want to be an encouragement to my friend or fellow employee or neighbor down the street. Please help me be an encouragement to them. Or maybe just today, you need to surrender the situation to someone who's just been evil and ugly and awful to you. Would you surrender now and say, God, i got to let you handle this. I don't even know 
what I could have possibly done that makes this person treat me so horribly. Lord, I surrender this to you and I ask that you deal with it. I'm going to leave it in your hands. Help me just do good. I can't do that without you. But you know I can't stand it the way they treat me. And it hurts me so terribly. And finally, would you pray that God will help you focus on what's true and what's right and what's lovely and what's good. Not on the one thing that's bad. Oh, Father, I pray that we will not be half-empty glass people. I pray that we'll always focus on at least the half-full because the truth is, in our relationship with you, it's much more than half. I pray, Lord, that we would expect opposition and not be surprised by it. If we live out our faith, there's always going to be somebody who wants to squelch that. I don't know their motivations. You do. Lord, help me to do good anyway. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you we can study and learn these lessons from his life. Help us be like him and put our faith in action. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.